Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, I'm your host. Each week, you may also recognize my face or my voice as the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast airing on Tuesdays and Fridays named On Leadership with Scott Miller, where each week I had the enormous honor of sitting in a chair about 18 feet that way on a different set where I'm able to interview remarkable C-suite leaders, business titans, best-selling authors, four-star generals, Pulitzer Prize-winning literary experts around the topic of leadership. And from that podcast, we learned about two years ago that some of the most downloaded episodes weren't the famous actor or the household name musician, which there were great leadership lessons to learn from. It was people like today's guests that had very relatable careers to the C-suite. And so we spun off this new podcast that releases every Thursday, audio and video, where we have really intimate conversations with people in the C-suite that have uh, sometimes remarkably relatable journeys to help each of us understand what's it like to be in the C-suite and how do you earn it and how do you leave in sometimes the C-suite. Our guest today is Stacey Tank. She's joining us from her office in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where she serves currently as the Chief Transformation Officer for Heineken. My father, although a past, would have loved to have met you. Stacey Tank, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. Great to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. My father had two favorite beers, um, St. Pauli's Girl, I don't know, and Heineken. And so you should know that my father has definitely contributed to your stock options. Oh, well, I super appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, it's also a brand, we have 500 brands, but brand Heineken is the one that uh, is the name on the door and certainly very close to my heart. Stacy, you've had an amazing career. Uh, you are the, a mother to two children and you are a spouse. You are obviously... Uh, uh, a corporate titan from your career, both at Home Depot and at Heineken. What I'd like to do today is probably talk less about the companies and more about your own journey, because you've had a fascinating journey. I believe you went to school in New York, and of course you've had um, an assignment in Europe. At some point, I'm guessing you'll be back here in the U.S. Uh, your, Your departure from Heineken, I believe, has been announced. Will you talk a little bit about what led to the decision for you to depart Heineken and come back to the U.S. Yes. Well, I love Heineken, and I've had a really magical experience with the company. I joined originally in 2012, and then I came back in the pandemic times, early in 2020, uh, or midway through 2020. And it's a really special company because we're 158 years old. Charlene Heineken is still the largest shareholder, the fourth generation of the Heineken family. We are traded. But it's a company that really builds things to last. So I can't say enough good things about my experience at the company and the journey that we're on with our new growth strategy, Evergreen, and the leadership, Dolph Vandenbrink, our amazing board, amazing executive team. But for personal reasons, one of my children needs to be back in the States. And so our family made the really hard call that after commuting for over a year now and only seeing them for a week a month, we decided to get the gang back together again. So very hard call, but very supportive on the Heineken side because it is a family company and family is always first. So they understand and uh, have been really warm and generous and thoughtful. And yeah, I look forward to announcing my next step, which uh, can't be announced quite yet, but it's coming soon. Stacy, I want to both respect your family's privacy and also address a topic that I think is an important topic, especially when it comes to women in leadership that uh, you've made a pretty significant sacrifice 
you might call it a small sacrifice. I don't mean to make a value choice, but you have changed careers and changed locations and moved your family back because of the priority of that, of your family, your family unity, and the health of one of your children. Uh, what would you say to anyone watching, regardless of gender, what it's like as a woman, as a, as a female executive leader to balance family obligations and your own career, recognizing that male, there are plenty of male you know, primary parents, and I don't want to step, step in the mud there on that. Um, how difficult was it for you to make those decisions, given your passion for the Heineken family, the passion for your family, recognizing that it may have interrupted your career? There's a lot of research and, and, and discussion around how difficult it is for women to re-enter the workforce when they take sabbaticals or perhaps they move because of the family needs. Take that wherever you'd like to go if there's anything there for you even to comment on. Sure. Yeah, I've had a really unconventional career. I started in a leadership program in General Electric and marketing and communications. From there, I went into audit. Then I was a finance leader. I've done all these different things. I was running a multi-billion dollar business for Home Depot before I came back to Heineken, now leading this growth strategy, Evergreen and our transformation. And at the end of the day, when you do things that are perceived to be risky by other people, you have to believe in yourself mm -hmm. and that you're going to figure it out and follow the path you know is right for you. Sometimes that was being brave to leave another company I loved, which was Home Depot or GE at the time, and not being afraid to just jump in because you follow your intuition and you trust yourself that you'll be able to figure it out. For me, my family, it has been so supportive and flexible for over 20 years, me having all these big dreams, living in Mexico, living in Brazil, living in Europe, uh, having all these wonderful professional learning adventures. But at the end of the day, when your family needs you, it's an easy decision. You know, when my husband uh, has had some health things in the past or my children, it's a hard decision, but it is also an easy decision. And when we talked, my husband and I, about whether the family could come back to Europe in the near term or not, and met with uh, all the folks surrounding my son, and we decided, no, that's not the best thing for my son, then I said, the decision's taken. And we do that with the belief that we will figure this one out too. And the reality is in the beginning, it is scary. And you may lay awake in the night looking at the ceiling thinking, hmm, am I gonna figure this one out? I figured a lot of stuff out, but am I gonna figure this one out? But the truth is, the answer is yes. It's actually been such a unique opportunity to really ask myself, what do I want out of this next chapter of my life? It's a huge privilege to be able to ask yourself that question because for the 20 plus years before, someone basically said to me, hey, why don't you do this job? You do that job. And I would say, wow, that sounds really interesting and very different than what I've done in the past or I could build on a set of skills that I've been accumulating. I would love to do that. This was the first time in my professional life when there was no you know, map, there was no road ahead of me. And I had to write and draw in the next part of this map in my career and in my life. And that has led to some very interesting discussions and a next step that I'm really excited about that I would never have taken, hmm. really, hmm. never have taken if it weren't for this opportunity. And I think it's going to shift the trajectory of the way I can contribute in the world. So super energized about that. And um, yeah, hard decision that actually is an easy decision because your children and your family are more important than anything else. Thank you for your transparency. And for all the people listening, 
mothers and fathers alike or caregivers or guardians that wrestle with you know, elder care questions or where their identity fits in their career and their finances. It's an issue that a lot of us are facing in our careers. I want to do a speed round with you. Sure. Uh, what's the best advice you were ever given but did not act on? Oh my gosh, that is a great question. Now I have to think for a minute. You know, one observation I've had, and I tell people this when they, they also ask me for advice, is that I have received a lot more bad advice than good advice in my career. So there's a lot of advice I mm. haven't acted on. Mm. In fact, yeah, because folks don't have all the information that you have. Yes. So they're giving you counsel based on a, a slice of the pizza, but they don't see the whole pizza. Um, advice that I haven't acted on. I like I mean, that folks, insight. I, I mean, I like what you just shared is, <laughs> You know, not all advice should be acted on and they don't have the full picture. No. So be judicious with receiving it. Completely. And when I was running the businesses at Home Depot, 95%, 98% of my mentor, sponsors, kind of personal board of directors told me 100% do not take this job at Heineken. And they were saying that because they were saying you're on the trajectory to be on the CEO path for a big Fortune 100 company. There are so few women that ever get that chance. Why would you take the risk and lead this growth strategy and, and, and take yourself what they perceive to be off of that path? Don't do it. There's too much risk. And again, I had to ask myself, what am I going to learn? Can I contribute in this role? Is this a unique moment in time? And can I bet, am I comfortable to bet on myself that I'll be able to figure it out? Because it is another unconventional move. I've done so many unconventional moves, but I have always figured it out and it has always paid off. Because one of the pieces of advice that I did receive and did take was from the first female vice chair at General Electric many years ago, Beth Comstock. And she said, take the hardest job that you can get your hands on. And I think that's a great piece of advice because then, of course, you're going to learn the most. Stacy, what's your biggest strength that when you overplay it, overcalibrate it, it becomes a weakness for you and those that work with mm. and for you? Yeah. Like your superpower but when you, when you superpower it, it ends yeah. up uh, hurting you or others. I, there are so many that are coming to my mind because a lot of your blessings can be curses at the same time. One of them is that I have a lot of energy and I love to throw myself into my work and move fast and get things done and climb big mountains with our teams. And that also needs to be paced and calibrated because there are times when you should shoot the moon and go big and go fast. There are other moments when you need to be patient and let things ripen. And also not everyone wants to move at that pace. So thinking about pacing has been a big reflection of mine for I would say the last five or 10 years. Uh, another one would be that I'm a Swiss army knife. People have described me that way in the past, meaning I have a finance background. So if you need a little bit more of an analytical bend to something, okay, I can lean into that, but I'm also very creative. So if we need a creative solution, something leaning more into the art side, I can do that. Um, I can do the big strategy, but I can also just roll up my sleeves and work in the warehouse if, if that's needed. And I think that can be a great strength, but you also have to be really intentional about the best and highest use of your time. Because while flexibility is good, you can quickly get pulled into too many small things that actually you should just empower the team to do. So I try to be thoughtful and intentional about the use of time. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
Stacy, we've all been in our career on the receiving end of feedback, hopefully helpful, actionable, specific feedback. We all have blind spots. Would you be willing to be vulnerable and clearly will be? Is there some feedback you've once been given on a blind spot you had that like literally caught you off guard? You didn't agree with it. Perhaps you were privately annoyed by it and then you kind of came around to it and it's now become an asset of yours, no longer a blind spot, but your awareness of this either weakness or uh, personality trait that's helped you become a better leader. 100% something comes to mind right away, which is I was raised the first 10 years of my career in a company that was pretty buttoned up, executive presence, polish, you know, no emotion, no stress on the face. And moving into other organizations, I would sometimes hear that people thought I was too perfectionistic, too buttoned up, too much of a mask, especially I would say with peers that were challenging me, intellectually challenging me, meaning um, questioning my, either my contribution or my judgment or something. And instead of being more relaxed, I would become extra buttoned mm. up and have all my mm. points. And, mm. and I think that that's not very warm and not very likable and sometimes really hard to trust because if you don't see the human underneath all of that, then it's hard to know where's this person really coming from? What are their motivations? Why are they driving so hard for this or for that? And it was feedback that I didn't often hear, especially lately from my teams. So folks I'm working with, uh, teams that I'm leading. Also, I don't hear that feedback from my board, which is interesting. But at the peer level, I can see how I get triggered sometimes and I go back into my buttoned up self and sometimes I'm not as human and vulnerable as I can be. And it's just a defense mechanism that I can feel clicking in. So I'm super appreciative that people help me to recognize that. And now I'm working on it. And uh, then hopefully I'll make progress on that. And I'm sure there'll be a million other things that I'll work on next. Stacey, I've spent my 30-year career in the leadership industry, which is quite humbling <laughs> as a leader in the leadership business because you're supposed to be a good model and I fail hourly. Some of the things that I struggle with are decision-making. Like, like I'm expert, I'm expert at executing, visioning, taking nothing and turning it into something. But I don't know that I'm a good decider. Like I'm not sure I'm really good at deciding should I spend my time on that or on that? Is that just validating? Is that really gonna... Talk about how you have either equally struggled with that or do you have some tips on perhaps how you've matured? I don't make bad decisions. I just don't know that I always make the right decision. Time is our most precious asset. Our intellectual you know, contribution is important. Anything you've learned along the way on how to make sure that as the leader, you're making the right decisions for the benefit of the group, people's careers, the company, the shareholders, your own brand, your own learning. Take that anywhere you'd like to go. Sure. Yeah, my default is actually the opposite of your default, which is that I decide things quickly and move. And that also can be good and bad. It depends on what the decision is and the context. So there are a couple of things that I think about when I'm making decisions. First is, is this an easy to reverse decision? or something that would be difficult if we wanted to change our mind later. I think at Amazon, they call that walking through a one-way door or a two-way door. Mm. Is this a one-way door or a two-way door? And if it's a one-way door, then you probably want to let it ripen. You want to be a little bit more sure that you're making the right decision versus something that you can easily reverse and then the stakes are lower. Uh, 
the complexity of the situation, what's going on, probably, uh, if possible, it has a relationship to the amount of time that you're exploring and collecting information and listening and sense-making because complexity, uh, of course, has many layers and there are probably things that you want to discover and understand. I also ask myself, who should be making this decision? Because there are many decisions that come to me that actually are decisions my team should make and I should just back them up. They're closer to the customer, they're closer to the information. They can use me as a sounding board and as a thinking partner, but actually they're close to the subject matter. They're gonna lead the project or lead that part of the business. And it's really healthy when people can make their own decisions and then live with those decisions. There's so much more learning in that. So should I decide or should I empower someone else to decide? Also, I ask myself, do we need to make a decision now? Because sometimes there are decisions that you feel pressure to take you actually don't need to make right now at all. And that's not all of the time, but when you can spot decisions like that and say, you know what, I let this ripen and actually let's come back to it next quarter, not a decision we need to be pressured to take at the moment. Um, and then for the run of the mill decisions, I'm always gauging, do I have enough? Do I have 60, 70% of the information to do sense making in terms of where we should go? How confident is the team that's coming with a recommendation? And you're reading people and you're assessing risk. Do I have experience in this space or not? So, for example, 10 years ago when or five years ago when everything was being digitized and we're moving to the cloud and we're using AI in a different way, I didn't grow up using AI and I didn't study that space and I have never had a technology pure play job. So as a business leader, when we were replatforming all of our systems, I needed to study more. I needed more time on the subject matter to bring my kind of base knowledge up higher to feel like I was able to support the team, able to make better decisions. There are other places where I have a lot of experience and I can make decisions with much less information because I've been there and I have a sense for the challenge and I can get confident more quickly. I could uh, talk about that response for an hour, uh, <laughs> but I won't because we have about eight minutes left. Uh, One-way door, two-way doors. We know a lot of leaders that it's difficult to reverse a decision because of ego, because of stature, political capital, the political culture would eat you alive. And so they just press forward, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and more excuses and more obfuscation. And we start presenting our opinions as facts, things like that. Any advice for a leader at any level when they're going through a door and they think it's a one-way door, but it could be a two-way door, but the two-way door would require some vulnerability and some admission of judgment or fault or more information has come, or I just made a bad decision. It was the wrong decision. Any advice you would give leaders at all levels on how to turn a one-way door into a two-way door when it really has to do with you made a bad decision and you need to open up the second door and come back and bring them with you? A good one. And my commerce team at Heineken, we call commerce sales and marketing. Uh, we refer to that department as commerce. They have an expression that I really like and that I've been adopting. And they call this success in progress. So we're learning, right? It, failure is a big word. I don't like that word because I think there's a lot of emotion attached to it. But we're not always going to get it right, of course. What is that? Success in progress just a way to reframe it and to make people feel like, okay, we learned something. It brings you into that growth, growth mindset, brings you into the learning space. And then when someone says, oh, I failed, it feels oof, heavy. And also you could feel like you let the team down, right? We all want to be good teammates. 
We all want to contribute the best way. We all want to lead our teams to our best and highest ability. So when you fail at something, there's a lot of emotion that goes into that. But hey, if we say, whoa, let's go through this one. This was success and progress. What did we learn? Okay, I had three learnings. It brings a little bit of levity and it brings also forward momentum to say, let's not get stuck here in this learning moment. We're going to learn, but we're going to keep moving because we are in progress after all. Speak to all of those that are listening and watching that want to rise to the C-suite. Maybe they're gunning for a CEO job or they want to move from the C-suite to the board or they're perhaps a, a mid-level manager, senior manager, and they can't just seem to break into the executive suite. Beyond you know, technical competence, are there some power skills? We've heard them called soft skills. Are there any power skills that you would maybe elevate to say, hey, beyond your ability to do this, this, and this from a a financial aspect or operations experience, are there some power skills that you might say you should be growing in order to move into the C-suite? Mm. One thing that comes to mind is trying to be the easiest person in the world to give feedback to. Mm. Because folks that I've uh, worked with in the past who are bumping up against their expectations or their dreams and the reality sometimes have really tough feedback that they need to hear, mm -hmm. but either someone has shared it with them and they're not listening to it, or they're so um, uh, not open to feedback that folks are, are not approaching them, not sharing it with them, not telling them the truth. So I ask myself that a lot of the time. Am I the easiest person in the world to give feedback to? When someone walks through my door and says, oh, I need to talk to you about something, do I make them feel afraid you know, to come in or do they go, oh, I get a moment to connect and I'm going to um, thank them and show appreciation for whatever the bad news is or feedback about something that I can do better to be a better team member in the organization. So that's the first thing. I think if you work hard and you drive and deliver results the right way, a lot of these things resolve themselves. And there is a lot to be said for getting out and having good relationships with folks and having a you know an active network of people who you're helping and learning together with and who are also mentoring and sponsoring you. You know, my next role is very much going to come from a personal connection and not through a recruiter per se. So being out there in the world, exploring, learning, being helpful to people, and putting that good energy out into the world goes a really long way. Stacy, last question. Your time is um, valuable. Uh, I want you to speak to my wife, Stephanie. Stephanie is well-educated, full-time stay-at-home mom of our three preteen and teen sons. I want you to tell Stephanie, metaphorically, what skills do you need for her and her husband, me, to instill in our three sons as they enter the workforce 10 years from now? You hear about coding, you hear about chat, GPT. Take it wherever you'd like to go. What, what do you want Stephanie and Scott Miller to make sure that in the next six to 10 years, our three sons are learning and doing these things so that they can be a, a, a contributing professional in a fast changing world. This is also a good one for me because I know you and I both have boys that are around the same age. I wouldn't go to content, I would go to the capacity to uh, do a few things. One of them is to love learning and to be in that lifelong learner mentality because the world's just going to keep changing. One of my favorite quotes is the world will never be as slow 
as it is today. Wow. Things are only becoming more complex and faster. Innovation cycles, it's just mind-blowing. So we have to be students for life, and we have to love that and get energy from that instead of feeling burdened by that. I also think society is becoming increasingly polarized, and we see a mental health epidemic all over the world because of a lot of different uh, drivers, I think, but certainly social media and and technology uh, is not helping, and we're sitting in these bubbles and uh, in reinforcing loops of our own mental views of the world, and then we vilify the others. I think having a capacity to listen, to come with an open heart, to convene, to honor those who have a different worldview than we have is really, really important, especially if you're leading teams, leading organizations, because my company is made up with people with every political view and every social view. And We are a representation of the world, 90,000 of us from uh, 70, 80, 90 countries and cultures and languages. So how do we hold and create a container where we can honor our differences? And at the end of the day for us, we can still get together over a beer, be reminded that we have a lot more in common than what separates and divides us. I worry a lot about this uh, for the next generation, in addition to topics like climate change, which maybe is where I would end. Um, important for all of us to have an interest in contributing to some of these big challenges, whether it's polarization, whether it's what's happening with extreme weather, with climate refugees in the Southern Hemisphere who can't farm their land anymore and they're having to move north. What is our interest in civic engagement, getting involved in the community and jointly working together to tackle some of these really giant systemic challenges of our lifetime? What's one thing that Americans could learn from the Dutch? Oh my gosh, there is there are so many differences. Um, one of them would be the automatic assumption that we should be growing the right way, not growth at all cost. So yes, we're going to grow. We're a top hotel growth company. We're you know historically we want to continue to be one. But we have to do that by advancing our net zero carbon ambition, being smarter with water, paying equal pay for equal work when it comes to men and women, making sure we're paying fair and living wages. We need to do all of these things in balance. It doesn't get you off the hook from driving growth and shareholder value, but shareholder value is not enough on its own, really. So I appreciate that very much uh, about the leadership in Europe. It's not a question. It's just in the mental model that you would do this and really have the privilege to do it from the position of a business leadership role. Stacey Tank, Chief Transformation Officer at Heineken. We look forward to hearing about your next appointment here in the U.S. Best of success with your relocation back to the U.S. and for the health of your family. Thanks for your vulnerability today. We appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Oh, thanks a million, Scott. Thank you. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.